Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold and the takes are hot. It's been a little bit, episode 32 today. Uh, took about seven weeks off. We had to catch up on some things during a busy time in the semester. This will be our one episode before finals week, as we have Thanksgiving week next week. And then after that, we have, you know, preparing for finals. Finals go into that weekend, uh, the first weekend of December. And after that, we will resume with our regular schedule after the finals. Um, but for this episode, we do have a lot of news across many different sports to bring to y'all. So we're going to kick it off right away here um, with something we don't normally talk about on the podcast in Major League Soccer. Uh, you know, neither of us really follow soccer. You could say if we were fans, we would definitely be casual fans. Um, you know, me personally, when Austin got a soccer team, I've just like see their record and how they like the basically if they win or lose each game, but I don't really follow it much more than that. Um, but they did play pretty well here. Uh, they made it all the way to the Western Conference Finals, which MLS is laid out very similar to the NBA, in which two conferences, uh, NFL too, but more so NBA. Um, and you basically just play three rounds, and then you get to the MLS Cup, which is like, the NBA finals, although it's one game. Uh, so in that Western Conference finals, Austin FC traveled to LA to face off with Los, Ange Los Angeles FC as they were the top two seeds in the West going into the playoffs. Um, so, you know, LAFC was the one seed and the best team across all of MLS. And then Austin FC was the two seed. Um, but LAFC won three nothing as they advanced to the MLS Cup final. Uh, so they ended Austin's season Austin's season right there. Austin, one of the great turnarounds in their second season, I believe it was, in the league. Um, so LAFC won and hosted the winner of NYC FC at Philadelphia Union. Uh, Union won three to one. And the two one seeds were set to face off in the final. So uh, it's basically what everyone thought the matchup would be going into it. You know, two teams with the best record across all the MLS during the regular season. Uh, and, and it was no shocker that they were the ones that made it. Yeah, no. Um, Delegates, I'll, I'll kind of echo what you said at the start, though. Definitely not soccer fans here. Um, just not something either of us follow. I definitely, when Austin got the team, like you said, definitely, you know, checked up on the record, didn't, you know, have ESPN notifications or anything like that, but I definitely checked in on them every once in a while and checked all their scores during the playoffs. So really cool to see them, uh, you know, succeeding like this early on in their in their club's career um, or history, rather. Um, but kind of getting back to the MLS kind of breakdown here, um, the Philadelphia Union traveled to the to LAFC, played a crazy game. Two teams alternated uh, alternated time until the 124th minute when Union took a three to two lead. Um, just a minute's away from winning the cup until LAFC scored four minutes later to tie it at three to three, sending it to penalties. Uh, LAFC won three to zero in penalties to capture its first ever MLS cup. Um, that's all we'll really cover for soccer until next season. It's kind of probably again, late in the season. We'll probably just talk about the winners maybe um, kind of like this, but um, really cool to see Austin do well. Um, definitely pulling for them. Um, but yeah, kind of like you said, kind of our first pod back after a while, it's been a little bit, um, kind of getting our feet under us this semester is first, I don't know, first semester long trying to do the pod and um, both of us got really busy and just hard, hard to find time to do this when um, weeks are going by and they're packed. So definitely going to try and get back to it on more of a set schedule next semester. Uh, I know both of us will have maybe a little more time to set aside 
uh, next semester to do this, but I've definitely got to get, get back into it. Um, you know, my workshop, some changes we'll see, um, kind of got to reset after, after finals are over, but definitely looking forward to getting back into it. Um, no doubt. Yeah. You know, what Austin FC was able to do, uh, was pretty incredible, you know, make it to the conference final. I mean, final four, pretty impressive, basically, you know, when, their brand new team and the expansion, obviously you kind of have a leg up early on, but, you know, disappointing first season. And then to come back this year real strong with the MVP finalist on the roster was pretty impressive, but yeah, uh, we're excited to get this going. Like you said, excited to finally get back in a rhythm here. Uh, we love talking about most of the stuff we talk about and the other stuff we talk about, we enjoy talking about it because it's relevant, it's popular, and it draws a lot of attention. Uh, for instance, the MLS, you know, that's just just wrapped up. Obviously, there's still golf going going on globally at the moment, uh, but really only going to talk about MLS, uh, the playoff stuff. So probably not until the playoffs. But that is it for the MLS for the time being. And we're going to head on to golf where we will talk about a little bit every week, uh, just a live golf tour and a PGA tour outlook as we catch you all up here from the break. So the Live Golf season wrapped up on October 30th, and the Aces Golf Club, which is led by Dustin Johnson, won the inaugural season title. Uh, you know, Dustin, I think he was the money leader on the Live Golf Tour for its first season, basically meaning he played the best over the course of the season. I know Cam Smith, he joined a little late, but he played really well when he was there. He won the stroke play section of the Miami uh, finale or whatever it was that they just played on October 30th. I know the first two days were match play where you had a partner and the third day was straight up stroke play to where, you know, you're just trying to shoot the best score under par. Um, but you know, that's wrapped up. I don't know if anyone else is going to join the live golf tour now because the PGA tour is underway. And I think guys that would have joined already would be on the live tour. I think the guys that are on PGA are locked into PGA and bettering that tour, uh, especially, you know, Tiger and Roy have headed some things that try to improve the uh, attention that PGA Tour will get. But there have been seven PGA Tour events since we last dropped an episode. Uh, we're just going to cover the previous current and upcoming event as we normally do. Because, I mean, I don't want to discuss seven events and the winners. Basically, uh, you know, guys that should win have been winning. Rory McIlroy went back to world number one, which is really impressive. He won the tour championship last season, obviously, and then won an event a few weeks ago. I believe it was the CJ cup in which he defended his title, but yeah, uh, not a whole lot going on. A lot of young stars in the game, getting their opportunity with uh, big name guys going to live tour. So that's always exciting to see basically a rebuilding tour. You know, if the PGA tour was a franchise, it'd be in the rebuilding stages where you have a few vets uh, that are playing well and kind of leading the group, but you also have the young guys that are coming on strong and, can make a name for themselves. Yeah, no, definitely going to be interesting to kind of see what the next upcoming season of golf holds. Um, obviously, you mentioned a lot of big name guys jumping to live and um, kind of see a lot of new faces, a lot of new names, which I know you and I both kind of like to see is just guys who have, you know, never done it, prove themselves. And, um, you know, kind of been a theme, you know, in the podcast's history is that um, we're really big on watching, you know, young players and young golfers and, um, kind of prove themselves with 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 the big names and the, and the big guys out there. And um, definitely going to see a lot of that, I think, this year in the PGA. A lot going to be a lot of new faces. Even in the live, you're going to see some new faces you may have never heard of that are smaller-name golfers jumping to the live, man, and maybe make a name for themselves there. So I think both both tournaments will see some new names, some new faces, um, hopefully some more competitors, hopefully. 
you know, the playing field is level. Hopefully it's not just, you know, the top names at the top. Hopefully we see these new names and faces, um, you know, competing and winning, which would be cool. But I mean, um, like I said, it should be really interesting. Um, just kind of going forward um, with smaller tournaments too. see if any other big names jump. I think this whole live golf thing might, uh, you know, it's an off season right now, but might see um, kind of a shift in, and maybe there's a couple other, you know, tours that open up, who knows, but um, definitely looking forward to the upcoming season. Yeah. I mean, when both tours have a full season going on at the same time, it should be interesting to see how they both uh, play that out and how it kind of, they plan their locations. Obviously PGA is already set. So live kind of has to go around that, but they do play outside of the U S more than the PGA tour that normally sticks in the U S but in terms of the PGA tour schedule last week, we had the cadence bank Houston open at Memorial park golf course in Houston, Texas. The purse was 8.4 million, which is pretty average for the PGA tour since the uptick in pay uh, for the guys on tour to compete with the live tour. Tony Finau won it at 16 under shooting a 65, 62, 68, and 69, taking home 1.512 mil for his performance on the week as he remains one of the hottest golfers on tour, winning by four strokes. Uh, nonetheless, an impressive performance by him. Uh, him and Rory have really played well over the course of the last six months and have made a name as kind of a couple of the faces of the PGA Tour. Uh, but in terms of what's currently going on, yesterday the RSM Classic teed off at the Sea Island Resort in St. Simons Island, Georgia, one of the courses I really want to play. Uh, you can make a week trip out to uh, Sea Island in Georgia and play a few different courses they have. And this event's interesting in that they actually play two different courses over the course of the week. Um, you know, on Thursday and Friday, they'll either play the seaside course or the plantation course. And then once the cut is finalized and players have been eliminated, they didn't play well enough, then Saturday and Sunday are just strictly on the seaside course if you do make the cut. Uh, so definitely uh, one of the unique events in golf and really exciting to follow along with. Uh, as is any other PGA Tour event. The purse for this event is at 8.1 mil, so a little bit less than last week's. And as round two is currently in progress, Andrew Putnam is in the lead at 12 under, shooting 65 in both round one and round two. Uh, so supposed to see some pretty low scores this week, and it looks like we're on track to seeing some as, you know, we got three guys at 11 under and two at 12 under so far and we're two days in so i expect expect the winner to be around maybe 16 under but nonetheless uh fundamental watch great golf course georgia has great golf and should be interesting to see how this tournament shakes out and then next week lastly there will be no pga tour event as it will be thanksgiving weekend uh, one of the eight off weeks over the course of the season that the pga tour doesn't have an event uh, however the following week we have the Hero World Challenge. Uh, it has a purse of just 3.5 mil. It's more of an experience, more than it is to go make money. It's just an event that a lot of guys love to go play. And it will be played at the Albany Resort, a super exclusive private resort uh, where normally you know celebrities stay. It is in New Providence, Bahamas. And Victor Hovland won the event last year. And this will be Tiger Woods' first event since the Open, which he played in 126 days ago. So about a third of a year, four months, he hasn't played in an event on tour. Now, obviously, he's been, you know, playing at his course at his house and playing with his son, Charlie, and practicing a lot, I'm sure. But 
in terms of on PGA Tour televised in the front of the public. This will be his first event in four months. So it'll be fun to watch how that goes. Pretty low expectations, honestly, uh, you know, as he continues to recover from all the different surgeries he's undergone. Um, not expecting a whole lot. I don't know who's going to opt in to play in this event, but it should be fun to watch. Bahamas, just incredible environment. And a lot of, you know, ocean golf is really cool, I think, where you basically are on the water playing golf. So it's really cool as compared to desert golf, normally wide open courses and stuff like that. So it'll be fun to watch, but nonetheless, happy to have the PGA Tour season going. And we're getting closer and closer to the first major of the year. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's one good to see Tiger back golfing. Um, you know, too, like you said, low expectations. No one's expecting him to go out there and actually win or play. Well, I think the goal is for him to go out, you know, play a couple of rounds um, and get the tournament in, get his body right, get his body back to playing in tournaments. Um, and just again, just see him back on the golf course. I mean, he's a guy that, um, you know, there's, it's rare where you get an athlete in a, in a whole sport that, you just don't really care how they perform. You just want to see them playing and, and, and doing their craft. Um, Tiger's one of those guys and he's, you know, um, trans going to transcend generations. And I think it, you know, we're finally, we're finally watching what his time is come to an end as a golfer. And I think just seeing him out there still is something, you know, fans are going to cherish for a long time. Um, and I think that we're all realizing now that we can't take his, you know, the rounds he's playing for granted. So um, at least, you know, televised rounds, you know, he's going to be playing golf for his whole life, but you know, competitively playing golf. I think yeah, we're getting kind of to the end here. And so um, definitely good to see him back playing. I hope hope he plays well, but I'm not expecting it at all. So um, we'll kind of shift to the NHL, give you guys a standings update this week. We're going to probably do the same thing with the MLB. We do a standings and a stats update every week. Um, definitely not as hardcore hockey fans as we are baseball fans, but if it's something we want to get into, um, kind of learn more about and, and talk about a little more on the pod is hockey. So um Basically, the way the NHL standings work is based on points, um, not wins and losses per se, but has a lot to go into it. Um, a team gets two points for a win, one point for a loss, an overtime or shootout, zero points for a loss in regulation. Um, well, there's 16 teams in each conference. We'll only mention the top eight since only the top eight clinch a playoff spot from each conference. So, um, you know, I like it. It rewards, um, you know, playing in, a, in an overtime or, or a shootout game. Um, again, it's it's a little harder to follow if it's your first time, you know, doing hockey scores, but um, that's the nice thing is that teams that play in a lot of close games or lose close games late um, aren't penalized as heavily as, you know, a team that gets blown out five to zero um, in regulation. So uh, that's nice, but uh, I'll start us off with the Eastern conference here um, with the Bruins and first, the Boston Bruins in first place at 30 points, the New Jersey Devils at 28 points, the Carolina Hurricanes at 22 points, tied with the Island, New York Islanders and the Maple Leafs of Toronto at 22 points as well. Tampa Bay Lightning at 21 points, the Detroit, the Detroit Red Wings at 30 points, and the New York Rangers also tied with the Red Wings at 20 points, um, rounding out the Eastern Conference there. Yeah, you know, early in the season, we're going to have a lot of team teams bunched together throughout. And, you know, as the season goes on, teams are going to kind of separate themselves from others and stuff like that. So early on, I mean, the top – eight teams are within 10 points of each other. I mean, the, I mean, at the end of the season, the top eight teams are going to be within 25 points of each other. So still really close. You know, anything can happen as we're only about a quarter of the way in. So uh, fun to follow along with, you know, hockey's kind of a sport to where it's unique in that not many goals scored similar to soccer, but it's also physical. Uh, you know, guys can get in fights and stuff like that. And it's fun to watch 
in some aspects, but you know, if you're watching low scoring game, not much going on, no fights and stuff like that, it can get, it can get pretty boring personally, uh, but nonetheless, I do enjoy following along uh, for the West Western conference standings. We have the Vegas golden Knights at 28 points as they have been playing really well each year that they've been in the league since they're an expansion league. I think this is their fourth season, Los Angeles Kings, 23 Dallas stars, 22, Winnipeg Jets at 21, the Seattle Kraken at 21. I believe this is their second season. Colorado Avalanche at 19, Edmonton Oilers at 18, and Nashville Predators at 17. Um, so once again, you know, this these top eight are separated by 11, so still pretty close. Um, East is looking like a little better early on, as is it is in NBA as well. Um, but nonetheless, once we get some interconference games going it should balance out a good bit but both teams or both conferences have a lot of good teams and it should be interesting to see how what teams separate themselves from others as the course of the season goes on we're going to move on to MLB here uh, just talking about MLB today in terms of baseball we're not going to start discussing college baseball until the season starts in late February uh, you know a lot of big season kickoff tournaments between top ranked teams in the country. I know there's one in Dallas, one in Houston. I think there's another one, but really excited for college baseball. And we're, we're going to talk more about it once the season gets going, but nonetheless, we're going to talk about it as soon as the rains come out and really excited for this season as a whole. Uh, but for the NLB, we're just going to talk about the recent awards and the world series recap that wrapped up on November 5th, the Houston Astros, brought home the World Series trophy, beating the Philadelphia Phillies 4-2. to two. Uh, The Phillies stole game one in Houston, 6-5 to five and 10 innings. For the Astros, even the series the next day with a 5-2 win. And in game three, they traveled to Philly for games three, four, and five, and the Phillies won 7-0 behind five bombs from five different guys. Uh, you know, that was probably the most exciting game of the series to watch just because, I mean, it wasn't as close as a few other few other games as two of the six games that were played were one run games. But, you know, when the Philly crowd was electric, they're hitting five home runs. It's just crazy. Um, you know, the Astros after that, Philly had a two, one lead after three games and going into game four, the Astros knew they were basically must win every game. And they did just that. They won three straight by a total score of 12 to three winning game four, five, nothing game five, three to two and game six, four to one. So they're pitching really, turned it around those last few games to clinch them that title, I believe was their fourth title in franchise history. Um, played really well all through the playoffs. They only lost those two games to the Phillies. You know, they played well against the Mariners and I can't remember who they played in the divisional series or in the championship series. Yankees. Yankees. That's right. Yeah. Yep. The Yankees said they, we wanted Houston and they did, it not. did not bode well. They for did them. not want Houston. No, they uh, did. But I, I don't mind watching the Yankees lose in the playoffs. Um, you know, a lot of guys on this Astros roster deserved it. I mean, Jeremy Pena, the rookie, played really, really well. He won NLCS or ALCS and World Series MVP Verlander. Uh, we'll get to talking to him in a minute. But he played really well. You know, not known for his postseason pitching. Had a really good start in game five. And... Overall, I mean, Trey Mancini, former Oriole, who was traded at the deadline, really happy for him. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, who had a great season, won it. Um, just a lot of guys on that roster that did deserve it, as did Philly. Um, 
but I just really don't like Philly fans. So I don't hate to see them lose, but I did want, I did want to see Bryce win it. And a few of the other guys I really enjoyed watching the world series though, as a whole, I mean, it was good six games um, and pretty solid, a lot of big moments from each team. And it was just overall fun to watch. You know, it was, it was, a, it was a, it was a good set. I, I didn't watch a ton of postseason baseball for the Dodgers lost, um, which I've never, we never actually got to talk about on the pod, but um, and I can, you know, once we get to the end of this, how much time we have left, I can provide my thoughts and insight on that. If, if we have some time um, here in a second, but uh, it was a good series. Um, you know, you kind of felt like in game three, the Phillies hit seven, you know, they hit five bombs and went seven zero. And you're like, all right, well, that's, that's the power up, but they may not hit any more than the rest of the series. So, um, you know, Verlander comes out and had a really good, he had a really good outing in a second game of the world series. Um, he's just the better team. They, they were the, I mean, that's why the 106 games, they, they won maybe the quietest 106 games that are ever going to be won. Um, you know, the Dodgers won 111 and outshined everybody else with wins. Then you had the Mets and the Braves kind of taking a lot of the spotlight going on the stretch with their run with winning hundred plus games and you had the Yankees, you know, their rise and then their collapse into the season and they kind of picked it up towards the end. And then, you know, obviously Aaron judge hitting, you know, getting to his 62 homers really outshined what the Astros did in the AL West and won 106 games. Um, you know, they were, um, you know, again, I think if the Dodgers don't win 111 and have, you know, a historically great season, the Astros are being talked about as maybe the best, one of the best teams ever. Um, so I think, uh, you know, I think them winning in six didn't shock me the way in which they won in six a little bit did. Um, but again, this Philly team was always going to be hit or miss in the playoffs offensively, right? I and mean, they're a home run, home run hitting team. Um, so it was, it, but it was a good series. Um, definitely wanted to see Philly win. I wanted to see Bryce get the ring. Um, you know, it was his first time we'll get in the playoffs and he played like, um, you know, the generational talent that he is. Um, but it was good. Um, we'll kind of get past the World Series, though. We kind of talked about all we're going to talk about there and don't want to beat the dead horse. But um, getting into awards, we're not going to go over the Silver Sluggers and Gold Glovers since there's a ton of them. There's 18 winners, so we're going to take a little time. to Actually, there's – I guess there's 20 because you get two DH Silver Sluggers too. So you get 20 winners. I'm, we're not going to go over all of them. Um, 20 winners for each. Or I guess in total it's 38 because you, if you add them both together. So – we're not going to go over all of those. It's a lot to talk about, but we'll talk about the platinum glove and the gold and the, uh, of the NL and the, and the AL. Um, no shock in the national league. Uh, no one, no one Arenado won another, uh, platinum glove. What's that six now for him? Makes I don't so. know if he's one, but he's got like five or six, which is wild. He may go down as one of the best defensive players ever, um, which he's absolutely deserving of. He's, that guy's automatic. Um, there's not a play on the field he can't make at third base, which is crazy. Um, and then the American League Yankees catcher Jose Trevino won the American League Platinum Glove. Um, those go to the best defender in each league. Obviously, the Gold Glove is the best defender in each position in each league. Um, the, uh, the Platinum Glove goes to, like, the best defender in each league. So um, definitely deserving. He had a great year. Um, definitely you know, stepped up with that kind of the shaky catching position the Yankees had have had for a while with Gary Sanchez leaving and all that stuff. So uh, both guys deserving those awards. Yeah, we'll get to Aaron Otto in a second. He came third in the NL MVP voting as well. That's a really strong season from him. Um, and Jose Trevino, like you said, locked down the catcher position there for the Yankees, um, which kind of seemed like they were just throwing DHs behind the plate and seeing how it went. I think – 
Platinum Glove is some like an award that not as many people talk about in comparison to you know, Manager of the Year, Rookie of the Year, MVP, Cy Young. Um, you know, I mean, this is Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, NBA, the DPOY gets a lot of attention. And I just think MLB, it's really, you know, I mean, more light needs to be shed on Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, a lot of the times it goes to the same guys, like in Nolan Arnado's case. Um, you know, I think Manny Machado was up for it as well. Uh, I mean, this is a really, really big deal and a really big honor no matter how many, how many times you win it. Uh, no matter what position you're playing, it's incredibly hard to field when you're playing, you know, 150 plus games over the course of a season. Any position on the field is tough. You know, you see a catcher win it, you see a third baseman win it, but there's also, I mean, outfield positions could win it as well. Our two rookies of the year were outfielders. It's really hard to play defense MLB, and I think it kind of gets overstated with all the power that guys have now, and you don't really see as much great defense being talked about. So we're gonna get we're gonna move on with our awards here that have been announced. Uh, Mets manager Buck Showalter won the NL Manager of the Year, while Guardians manager Terry Francona won the AL Manager of the Year. Um, these were voted on and submitted before the postseason began. I get Buck Showalter winning it, even though they kind of blew their 10-game lead. Um, I mean, he did do really well with that roster, and while their team was loaded for the most part, they had to deal with guys going in and out. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, he's been a great, great manager wherever he's been. I think that's his fourth manager of the year with four different franchises. I think Francona's won three now, and he did really, really well over the course of the season. You know, they have the youngest team in the league, and – Behind Jose Ramirez, there wasn't much on that roster coming into the season, but behind a couple stellar rookie performances and, you know, consistent pitching, they played really, really, really well and made it far in the playoffs. Uh, and it was a bummer that they lost to the Yankees after having a lead in the series, but, you know, they're going to be right there for years to come. And I think this is only the start for that young Guardians roster. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Buck winning was the right thing to do with, with the, it was what him, Snitker, and and Dave Roberts were. I mean, that that's personally, I thought that was a terrible top three. Um, just you look at the rosters that Dave Roberts and Snitker have; those guys are going to win hundred plus games every year, walking, sleepwalking through the season. So, um, you know, don't don't love those two finalists. Um, I would have preferred to see. Um, I'm going to forget his name, the Padres manager in there, and then Rob Thompson for the Phillies the absolute tear they went on after they fired um, Joe Girardi was, it was crazy. So the fact that they did a lot of it without Bryce for what a month and a half um, is even crazier. So I thought he should have won the award. If I was, like, if I was a writer and I had votes, I'd have been voting for Rob Thompson. Um, Buck's definitely deserving of it. Don't get me wrong. Um, but they do have a lot of talent on that team. Um, but I really think Buck navigating the, the pitching injuries between DeGrom and, and Scherzer. I mean, I don't know how many times, to have those guys pitch in the same week this year it may have been count on one hand. So definitely really good to navigate that. And I think the kind of the Edwin Diaz turnaround, if you will, from what he was last year to this year really is, is impressive as well. So um, definitely deserving for Buck. Um, and then the American League, really glad Terry Francona gets it. Um, did a really good job with that Guardians team. Um, I guess of all the teams who made it to the playoffs, definitely doing the most with the least, um, if that makes sense. Um, obviously a lot of young talent on that team, but – Outside of Shane Bieber and, and Jose Ramirez, not a ton of proven talent on that roster. Um, some guys that have been 
you know, good ball players for a while in the majors, but you know, no, no, nothing like what, um, you know, the Yankees have or the Astros have, or those teams in the national league I talked about from a, just a talent perspective. So definitely deserving there. And then um, the rookie, the rookie of the year awards, um, for chalk for the most part, which it usually is. You rarely do you see a super tight race. Um, Brave center fielder Michael Harris Jr. won the National League Rookie of the Year, which I guess that was kind of a tight race with his teammate Spencer Strider. But considering that Harris played more of the season, you probably figured he's going to get it. And then um, Mariners center fielder Julio, Julio Rodriguez won American League Rookie of the Year. Um, again, Rutschman, had he played a whole year, it would have been a tight race. But the fact that, you know, Rutschman played a whole month less than, you know, it was what, 31 games less than Julio. That was just, it was never going to, he was never going to be able to win it um, with the numbers they put up being pretty even. So, uh, but really, really, both guys deserving. Um, both guys who finished in second would have been deserving had they played, you know, a full year. Um, definitely some young stars in the making there. Um, guys are going to be, you know, staples of the league for a long time. So definitely looking forward to seeing those guys kind of get their careers rolling too. Yeah, two guys that were uh, the epitome of consistency, especially for young guys over the course of the season. Uh, you know, both of them kind of sparked that their respective teams and going on runs. You look at the Mariners, especially, you know, clinched the playoffs, even though they lost early on. Uh, you know, they had no business being a playoff team the first month of the season. Then Braves as well, you know, obviously they won it, but having two really good rookies is just a boost to that roster that lost Freddie Freeman. And I think that was what they needed. And they played really well over the course of the whole season, obviously. Ending up winning the division was really impressive as well. But in terms of Cy Young, just announced uh, two days ago, Marlon Sandy Alcantara won the NL Cy Young, 27-year-old, a really strong season for him. And then Astros, Justin Verlander won the AL Cy Young. I believe this is his third, and he's the fifth oldest pitcher to win it. Um, Yeah, that goes to the league's best pitchers. If you didn't know, Cy Young used to be a pitcher. It's actually someone's name. And – both these guys were deserving. You figured they were going to them, especially Alcantara. And there wasn't really any challengers to them when the season was all said and done. Pretty late in the year, it seems like, okay, maybe in the NL, a few different guys could have win it. But, you know, Alcantara, I think he had five complete games this year and had like 230 innings pitched. And then Justin Verlander, I think, led the league in ERA. So a real strong season, obviously, from both of them. And, yeah, I mean, this is what both me most people expected for both leagues. Yeah. Um, I think Verlander had that rough stretch down. It was in August or whatever, but um, I, I didn't think he was ever going to lose it. And then when Cease got hurt um, and then, you know, it just was, I don't think it was going to ever, um, it's all going to be Astros pitcher, Justin Verlander to win it. I mean, he had the best, he was sub two ERA the whole year. I mean, it's crazy. Especially as old as he was coming off the injury. If they had a comeback player of the year, it would have been him. Um, they don't give that award out in baseball, which I think they should. Actually, I think it'd be cool. Um, I think you could go to a guy like, you know, say Cody Bellinger plays next year, and it's just an example I'm using from the Dodgers, but say he goes off and has bats over 300 next year. He had a shitty year this year, but he has a really good year this year. I think that could be a comeback player, but I also think a guy like Justin Verlander coming off, you know, Tommy John, um, the traditional. Um, I guess they do give out comeback player of the year, but they – do they? I think they do. I guess they do. I just I've never really remember when I've never really like remember guys. Yeah, when... they don't they don't make a big deal of announcing it, but the last player, yeah, Mancini won it last year. That's right. I guess they do. It's just they don't make a big deal about it like the NFL yeah. or the NBA, which I think they should. I think it's a cool thing. Like Mancini was really cool that he won that and he was very deserving of it when he came back from. Um 
No, two guys are going to win it, and then Alcantara was um, – I, I would have – I was surprised he didn't finish higher in MVP voting. I know the the the, Mar- the Marlins were terrible, and I get that, but, like, you take him off that team, they, they may have won, like, 40 games max. I mean, they were terrible. So, I just – I think I would have given him a more. He got some of the people. I would have voted him probably top three. Um, but that's just me. Um, he had a great year though. Both guys very deserving. Um, again, chalk there. And then and then the, with the MVP awards, um, it was chalk again. I mean, for the most part, you're not going to see these super tight contested races in, in baseball. Usually, when you get to the end of the year, somebody just separates themselves um, from the pack, or the pack separates themselves from somebody with just poor poor performance. So. But in the, in the National League, Cardinals first baseman Paul Goldschmidt won the National League MVP, and Aaron Judge won the American League MVP for the Yankees. Um, again, no shock there. Um, it was unanimous. Uh, 28 first place votes out of 30 for Judge. The only two writers who voted for Otani were um, the Los Angeles Angels or the LA writers in the American League, which are which they covered the Angels. Um, I get why they people wanted to vote him in first place. He is very valuable, but the fact that that team was terrible still with him, um, I think, you know, doesn't really warrant what the Yankees were able to do with Aaron Judge in the historic season he had hitting. So, um, and then with Goldie, I think I had – he was part of the reason the Cardinals won that division. Um, he had a great year. His numbers were great. Almost won the triple crown. So, definitely a great year for him. Um, both guys very deserving. though. Yeah, I mean, these two guys were – great hitters you know Goldie more than Judge is an all-around hitter I think Judge obviously is more power and a lot of his average came from those home runs also did a lot of singles but Goldie more well-rounded I think and that's why he almost won the triple crown Um, I mean this was also an award that was pretty much wrapped up well before the season ended you know especially when Judge went on that home run streak I think it was like seven games in a row or something and they were like, all right, he could break the AL record this year. Um, both those guys have been really good hitters. You know, Judge, you know, we're going to discuss it on our next episode. We're going to talk about all the free agent signings that have occurred between the opening, which was on Thursday at 4 p.m. And when we record, um, Judge is going to break a record signing. I don't know how long the deal is going to be, but the Yankees made him an offer. He declined. They made him a new offer. Uh, he's yet to respond to that. So it should be interesting to see where he signs and then also the slew of other big name free agents that should sign here in the next month or so. Um, That's pretty much it for the big awards that have announced. Obviously we've had the Roberto Clemente, Hank Aaron, stuff like that, but those, those don't really mean as much to players as, you know, MVP, Cy Young, defensive player of the year, stuff like that. So the awards still to be announced are uh, comeback player of the year, which, Sometimes it's given to guys that miss the most games and just somehow find a way to get back on the field. And sometimes it's just given to guys with the best production after missing time the season before. So it honestly depends. Um, But they've been doing that for a little bit now, I think. But it is one of the newer awards. Uh, Outstanding DH, which doesn't get a lot of attention. The all MLB team, which gets a lot of attention. Uh, First team, second team, big, big deal. And reliever of the year. you know, a lot of guys could get reliever of the year this year, and it should be interesting to see who it goes to. I believe it's only one person. I don't know if it's AL and NL. Um, I have to look at that. But like I said, that's it for uh, baseball. We're going to start start discussing college baseball. 
once the season starts in late February, um, you know, Big 12 looks to be pretty good this year. And the SEC always will probably be at the top um, and they're due for another big year this season. And it'll be interesting to see how the season plays out, but I'm looking forward to it. You know, Ole Miss and Oklahoma, the two last teams standing last year, nobody picked them, you know, halfway through the season. They were both pretty mediocre at best. Um, so, you know, it just goes to show how quick things can turn around in college baseball week to week when you have those weekend series and it should be fun to watch. I, I know tech has like 19 of its first 21 games are at home. They have a tough non-conference schedule in comparison to other years. We're not playing Mary Mac or Kent state this year. So it should be fun to follow along. Um, I think a lot of ranked teams coming into Lubbock early on in the season, but we're going to start head off to NBA. Now uh, that is it for baseball. There was a, well, there's a, there's a couple once, once we started, there's a couple signings which we got on the recording that I just saw. Tyler Matz signed with the – where'd it go? I believe he signed with the Braves. Um, Two-year contract worth $3.1 million. Uh, includes a $5.5 million club option in 2025 with no buyout. Um, and then Kiner Falef was back with the Yankees on a one-year $6 million deal. That broke like literally two minutes ago. So I want to get that in there before we shifted to, to basketball. Um, but nothing's not, no other signings have happened yet. Baseball's so slow. Right. Baseball offseason's the worst. So slow. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit before we see the big names. Uh, but who we knows? I mean, in three weeks, and Aaron Judge still has, might have not assigned. So let's put it that way. Yeah. I mean, who knows? We're going to have nothing to discuss on the next episode for baseball. But we yeah. also could have a lot to discuss, yeah. you know. It all, I think it all depends on Judge. Once, and once one domino goes, probably being DeGrom and Judge, the rest will then fall, and they'll probably sign. But um, we could be waiting a little bit to see. Yeah, I mean, it, it all depends on a few guys, I think. But it should be interesting, really exciting offseason upon oh, us for – And baseball. Kershaw's back with the Dodgers. It's not official, but they reached a deal. The, either side right. is, like, announced personally, but, like, um, it's been reported by, I think, Ken Rosenthal, Jeff Passan, that they've, they've reached some sort of agreement roughly – 17 or 18 million, I think. I don't know. He back on a one year deal, probably keep re up in one year deal so he retires. But I did forget about that. That was a couple of days ago. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the big name long term deals haven't happened. And I mean, I think they're all going to happen within a week of each other or so. So that week's going to be pretty hectic. But that week is to be determined when it will happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, could you could see a lot of shake up with the, you know, top teams in baseball and, some young teams wanting to get a big name vet or star to build their roster and push for playoffs. Also be something that happens. Um, we're going to shift to NBA here. Just a standings update. Uh, season kicked off exactly a month ago and there aren't many surprises across the league, especially in the East. I'm going to cover the East. You can get the West. Um, just going to dis- discuss the top 10 teams, the top six, get an automatic um, playoff spot and eight, Seven, eight, nine, and ten clinch the play-in to where they have to win to get into the playoffs. Um, so for the East, I'm going to discuss in order one to ten. Um, Celtics are twelve and three. Bucks are eleven and three. Hawks are nine and six. Cavs eight and six. Raptors nine and seven. Pacers seven and six. Those are the top six. And then seven is Wizards at eight and seven. The eight seed is the Knicks at eight and seven. Nine seed is the 76ers at seven and seven, and the 10 seed are the Heat at seven and eight. So 
you know, some mediocre play really across the East outside of the Bucks and Celtics, who everyone thought would be the top two teams. No surprise, but the West far more surprises. Um, I mean, it's been, I don't want to say an exciting season per se, but a lot of young guys are making a name for themselves early on as opposed to, you know, other seasons, just stars. I mean, we're seeing the Warriors come off to a slow start and I think, Guys, I mean, obviously they won, what, their fourth title in eight seasons. They've had a little bit of drop-off, but I think it's just young rosters who trade away a lot, like the Jazz, Timberwolves. I mean, the Timberwolves made a trade with the Jazz, but younger rosters are actually playing pretty well when, you know, their young guys can step up as opposed to, you know, some of the older teams. So it's just something interesting to see, and the conferences have been pretty different so far uh, in the season. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing about the Warriors, they, they played basketball late in the year. Um, they're not a young team. I mean, they're a bunch of veteran guys on that roster. So, um, you definitely some fatigue setting in there. And I also think that the whole Draymond Green, Jordan Poole thing has definitely had an impact start the year on them. And, I mean, obviously they started the year well, and then they've but they lost like five or six straight. So, definitely something going on in the locker room. Not saying, not saying it's going to hurt them the whole year, but – um, an older veteran somebody that's gonna take some time. Not to mention that they're relying on two guys, um, leaning a little heavy, leaning a little heavier on two guys this year who really didn't play a lot last year, and Jonathan Kuminga and James Wiseman. So, um, whether it was because they were just young last year, they were hurt. Two guys who really didn't see a lot of time last year, a lot of minutes. So, um, but the uptick in PT for those guys, it's gonna take some time for that team to gel a little bit. Um, you know, mixing the the old with the new or the old with the young there. So. Um, but I think they're going to be fine. I think I think they'll be um, they'll get rolling around midseason, the same thing they did last year, and um, make the playoffs. And they're going to be a scary team, just like half the other teams in the Western Conference are going to be. So um, I like the parity in the NBA this year, and at least in the Western Conference. Um, to be honest, I haven't watched a lot of basketball this year because the Lakers are horrendous. Um, it's kind of it's a lot. It's I think it's laughable. It's funny um, that they're just eating crow now because they what they did to themselves, but um, definitely going to start watching probably get, as we get, you know, baseball off season through and then kind of as football season starts to wind down, I'll definitely start watching more basketball. And then definitely in February um, when college football is over, NFL is pretty much over. I'll start watching more basketball as well, but um, we'll get into college basketball once conference play starts. Everything's a crapshoot right now. Teams are gelling, um, you know, teams are playing buying games and losing. I think that um, I think it was John Rothstein who tweeted out the other day that I saw that, you know, buy-in games have changed so dramatic, so dramatically and so drastically with the portal. Um, you've got all these, you know, power five teams that are bringing in new talent every year. And then there's these buy-in schools that now have access to these recruits who didn't play at a, at a Texas, Texas Tech, you know, a Baylor that they were even like a, a Kansas State or an Iowa State. They haven't didn't play there. So they're now going to these smaller schools. They're so talented players. Uh, so I think the, the playing field is much more level. Um not at the top, of course, but like on with the average teams, a little more uh, level playing field. So, um, but teams are figuring it out. We're not going to see finished products till about February. So we'll we'll get into basketball, college basketball, a little bit more once conference play starts up um, in January, February. Yeah, I think it's just college basketball really exciting. Um, it is going to be weird seeing you know a couple former Red Raiders playing in different uniforms, um, you know, 
not really going to talk in detail, but Texas had a really big win over Gonzaga. I think it was Gonzaga's largest loss in like a decade or something. Um, you know, Gonzaga lost a few guys. They still have Drew Timmy, but other than that, weird roster kind of trying to gel together, but should be exciting. NBA also, uh, it's kind of interesting to see, you know, you mentioned the Lakers, what was running Twitter before Twitter crashing and, you know, all the stuff Elon's doing with Twitter and the whole verification thing and stuff like that was LeBron's lying about the books that he has walking into every single game. He'd always have a book open and be like in the first 10, 15 pages. And then at a presser, he was holding a book and a lady asked him about the author of the book and like how he likes her and stuff like that. And he was just BSing his way through the conversation. It was just really funny to watch. And now like every five tweets on my timeline you'll just see like a picture of like an old LeBron interview or something and be like referencing something and be like you know back three years ago I told y'all Elon would run Twitter and you know I said the day he gets it the day it's going to go downhill it's basically people putting in quotes LeBron manifesting something way before it happened when he was just lying so it was really funny I think most of the jokes I see on that are pretty funny but yeah, I mean, it's early M- NBA season teams are st- still trying to gel. A lot of trades went down, a lot of new faces in different places. Um, and we see that a lot with the Timberwolves. I think they're seven and eight right now, but I think they're gelling. I think they're going to be a playoff team. The Jazz traded away everything. I mean, they traded away Donovan Mitchell. They traded away Rudy Gobert. Um but they're 10 and six. They're sitting at the four seed right now in the West. And I think they've had a really impressive start to the season. I don't know if they're going to maintain that. Trailblazers being the one seed early on is really impressive. You know, they have Dame and Nurkic. Rather than that, they don't have much. Anthony Simons hasn't played bad, uh, but isn't known for much outside of his dunking ability. Um, I mean, the Grizzlies, Suns, Nuggets are three teams that are top six right now. But I mean, they're supposed to be there. You know, if the Nuggets were healthy last year, they're top five seed, I think. Grizzlies made it to the Western Conference uh, semifinals. And Suns played well. I mean, Mavericks played really well. They're in the seventh seed right now. So I think a lot of those teams are finding their footing. And while they're finding their footing, some of the younger teams that haven't really gelled together are taking advantage. You know, like the Jazz and Trailblazers are sitting high in that conference. So it'll be fun to see how it shakes out, especially in the West as the East is going to be a little more uh, predictable as the West in comparison to the West for this season. Yeah. That kind of wraps up the NBA for the day. I mean, again, it's early in the season, hard, hard to know where everything's going to lie, but the LeBron stuff's really funny. Um, the tweets are hilarious. I mean, all like all it's, a, it's actually a clip from you. So I think it was the clip you signed about Kobe dropping 81. He's like, I just had a feeling he was going to go for 70. And then I knew he was going to go for 80. I told my buddies, I was like, dude, it's a great the, – the memes are great. Um, LeBron is such a memeable individual. Um, he's almost like Russ in a way, but that's a – we can – that's like an ice bath conversation. We'll talk about it later if we want to. Um, we'll shift to the NFL. Obviously, we're, we're midseason. Missed a lot of the meat of the NFL early in the year. Um, getting into it here. NFL trade line was last week on November 1st – or sorry, two weeks ago on November 1st at 3 p.m. Central. Um, total of 20 player trades, including 12 on the final day. Um, we're only going to talk about the major trades. There was a bunch of small trades that went down that really don't have any impact, not any impact, but they're just 
Um, they're middle school, not a lot of guys, big names. But um, talk about some trades here, kind of rattle off a couple. Um, and New York Giants traded wide receiver Kadarius Tony, former first rounder in 2021, to the Kansas City Chiefs in exchange for a 2023 comp- compensatory third round pick and a sixth. Um, and then Carolina Panthers traded wide receiver Robbie Anderson to the Arizona Cardinals in exchange for a 2024 sixth and a 2025 seventh. Yeah, I mean, some of these trades are pretty complex, but these two, I think, pretty straightforward. You know, Robbie basically forced his way out of Carolina, rightfully so. Um, you know, shortly after they fired their coach, Matt Rule. Um, yeah, just real weird situation for them there, but he hasn't done anything in Car- or in Arizona so far, which is really weird. I, even, I mean, D-Hop came back, but trading a sixth and a seventh, pretty much risk-free. Just getting another receiver on the depth chart with Hollywood Brown missing time. Uh, but he practiced this week. I don't know if he'll be back. So the trio of D-Hop, Robbie, and Hollywood is really, really solid and should pay off, but it doesn't look like it's paying too many dividends right now for him. Uh, kind of a weak division of what we thought could be the best division in the league. You know, the Seahawks are leading that division. I mean, who would have thought that going into the season that they would ever have been out of last place in the division? Um, and then Giants trading for Kadarius Tony. Comp third, so that'll be at the tail end of the third and a sixth. Uh, pretty undervalued trade there for him. I mean, he was on the injury report a lot. And Chiefs get him. I think he had a touchdown, another big catch. So just what you expected for a guy going to the Chiefs uh, is going to play well for him. But rattling some of these off here, uh, the big trade that happened early on were the Panthers traded running back Christian McCaffrey to the San Francisco 49ers in exchange for a 2023 second, third, and fourth and then a 2024 fifth. So big time trade there. McCaffrey played for them, I think four days later, had a touchdown, and then he's playing playing well for him ever since. Jacksonville Jaguars traded running back James Robinson to the New York Jets in exchange for a conditional 2023 sixth, which becomes a fifth if Robinson rushes for over 600 yards this season. And he currently sits uh, 357 yards with nine games remaining. I think he's played one game since, so closer, even closer to that goal, but it looks like it's on track to be a fifth rounder. Um, but, you know, good pickup there for the Jets who lost Brees Hall for the season, and I think he'll be getting a lot of carries and will definitely become a fifth round pick in that trade. Yeah, well-timed move for the Jets. Um, definitely needed. Uh, obviously, losing Brees is tough, but um, really good timing move for them. A guy who was just I think it works out for both sides really well. ETN gets to be the high volume running back one that they want him to be. And Robinson gets a fresh start in a contract year and um, gets to go to a team where he's running back one for the, for the rest of the year. So it works out well for both sides. And then the McCaffrey move, obviously the Niners were a little bit surprising, but I get, I get it with kind of the lackluster offense they'd had. I believe he's scored in every single game that he's played in, which is great. Um, he went for like three touchdowns the second week he was there, which is crazy. Um but a good, a really good pickup. Obviously, I was going to make every team in the NFL better, but certainly the Niners, the offense they run allows them to be a little more potent. Uh, getting Elijah Mitchell back as well is going to help. I think, uh, I think, as, I don't know if it's to you or somebody else, but I said that McCaffrey's volume is going to go down when he gets to San Francisco, but his volume will be of higher quality. His quantity is going to go down, but the quality will be much higher. I think he's going to get higher quality touches. Um, you know, he's going to be a little more open and less, a little free, a little, a little more free. He won't be, you know, the number one key for the opposing defense in every single play with Debo on the field. Um, George Kittle, obviously Elijah Mitchell, Duran and IU, much more loaded offense around him. Um, we'll keep it pushing here. Chicago Bears made two moves, uh, trading away two players, and they traded for a player. Um, but we'll talk about the two, tra- the two players that they traded away. First, um, they traded Edge, Robert Quinn of the Philadelphia Eagles in exchange for a 2023 fourth. And then Brett's team, the Baltimore Ravens, traded uh, for inside linebacker from the Chicago Bears, Roquan Smith to the Baltimore Ravens. 
in a in exchange for a 2023 second, a fifth, and then linebacker AJ Klein. Um, you figure this comes with an extension. I don't know where they're at on that, but you don't trade for a top five linebacker in football and not pay him uh, in a contract year. Um, it is absolutely just from my observation has absolutely in the games, but elevated the defense to, to another level. Um, I think he's allowed Patrick Queen to be a lot free. I think he's freeing up the defensive line a little bit. Um, having a guy like that who can cover, can can you know stop the run is, is unique. I think he's a very unique talent in, in, in the league. I think um, a guy who being on the Bears didn't get as much love, but I think he profiles very similar to, to Shaq Leonard um, out in Indianapolis. So, um, you know, really good move for the Ravens. I think that's probably the best move of the deadline. I know they gave up a second for him, but um, he's a guy that can push him over the top for a Super Bowl run. Um, and think either way, whether they pay him or not, it's going to be worth it for him. Yeah, I mean, I might be a little biased, but I do think this is the best move of the deadline. Uh, the fit was definitely the best. Yeah. You know, Roquan being a middle linebacker, uh, you know, pretty fast, has great coverage ability, but is also a hard hitter in the middle. I mean, we saw that exactly a week after he was signed. He played Monday Night Football a week and a half ago as his first game as a Raven and had back-to-back plays, hard hits on Kamara in the hole. Uh, so really strong play from him over the course of his career, nonetheless, over his last game as a Baltimore Raven. Uh, he picked up the defense playbook really well. Uh, trading a second and a fifth does kind of hurt personally, and I know it hurts the Ravens front office that values picks so highly. Uh, traded A.J. Klein as well for uh, just a depth linebacker piece. The Bears already waived him and the Bills claimed him, um, so that would, didn't really factor into the trade much. I think it was just more of a linebacker for a linebacker uh, kind of deal that they wanted to fill that roster hole. But Roquan definitely puts Patrick Queen over the top. I think this trade means more for Queen than it does for Roquan. Um, you know, Queen over his career first few seasons probably played like a day two pick. Honestly, he was picked kind of near the tail end of that first round and kind of underperforming in terms of what people thought he would be coming into the league. Um, but, you know, with he's had flashes of being a first-rounder, but with Roquan, he played like a first-rounder against the Saints, and I expect that to continue over the rest of the season. So, nonetheless, really excited for our defense that is fully healthy, uh, other than Marcus Williams being out, going to be out another three games probably. But once he gets back, um, you know, we should have everyone barring another injury and really excited for what the defense can do. Um, I mean, you know, the, the Ravens' three losses were three blown fourth-quarter double-digit leads painfully uh it was really painful to watch those three games um just knowing the defense doesn't normally make them those mistakes it's normally the defense getting the wins but big deal there uh Robert Quinn as well hasn't really done anything uh for the Eagles he hasn't played many snaps I think he's played 48 snaps over the three games he's been there and he has one sack this season he traded a fourth so not that valuable uh but nonetheless I thought he would do a little more for the Eagles he might play a little more now with a few injuries to their D-line maybe rotate some edge guys for three techs and stuff like that. Um, but a couple more big trades went down. All the trades that we're about to discuss went down on deadline day. Uh, the day kicked off around 10, 30, 11 AM where the lions made an interdivision trade. Uh, they traded TJ Hawkinson, a 2023 fourth and a conditional 2024 fourth to the Minnesota Vikings in exchange for a 23 third and a 24 or 23 second and a 24 third. So Hawkinson and two fourths for a second and a third. Uh, pretty good trade there for the Vikings. I think Irv Smith uh, was out, so they're pretty much empty at the tight end position. Hawkinson, top 10 tight end. Um, 
plays well with Kirk, and I think Kirk needs a good tight end. I mean, you look when he was in Washington, he had it. And he's played – TJ's played well overall in his two games as a Viking, and I expect that to continue. Then the Steelers traded wide receiver Chase Claypool to the Chicago Bears in exchange for a 2023 second. This was the second that the Bears owned, not the second that the Ravens traded over to the Bears. Um, so a good wide receiver move from them. And since they got Claypool, Fields has looked good. Um, their wide receiver is not getting a ton of volume. as uh, Justin, most of his production comes on the ground. But nonetheless, the Bears have been playing better since they acquired him. Yeah, no, the, the Claypool move, really good for both sides again. Um, they, he was not going to be back in a couple of years in Pittsburgh. I think that him them getting him off the books – by the way, in exchange for a second, buff, likely going to be a pick that was – so Claypool was drafted what, like 50th, something like that overall? That's going to yeah. be a top 40 pick. The fact that they got a better pick in return for they drafted him is awesome. I don't think he was worth that. I think they got into a bidding war with Green Bay. I think Chicago didn't want him to go to Green Bay in like a little division rivalry thing. I don't know, petty petty BS. But um, really impressive to see the Chicago Bears – in a vacuum making the move. I don't think it was the value was right, but they, they made the aggressive move to get a receiver for Justin Fields, which is the right thing to do. They've both looked good. Him and Claypool and Fields have looked good together since. Um, I think it opens up the passing game a little bit. I think another guy who's really highly impacted with this is Darnell Mooney. He's not going to get double teams every, every week. He's not going to get all the attention. So um, really good to see there um, just for Justin Fields and, and him proving the haters wrong and the doubters wrong. Um, and then the Hawkinson trade. Um, I hate it so much i loathe it it's terrible first of all why are the detroit lions trading him right now you're about to draft a a quarterback why are you trading a tight you can pay you can afford you can afford to pay him too i get he's not lived up to the eighth overall pick bill but like i mean you're getting a second for him why not just pay him it's not like tight he's not he was not i don't think he was going to command a ton of money in terms of like, you know, Kelsey or, or Kittle money, may, maybe he wanted it, but I don't know. Not a fan um, of that move. And then trading him to a, to a division rival in Minnesota, you could have traded him anywhere else for that probably. So, um, like, I think Buffalo would have made that move for a second rounder this year. Um, there's plenty of teams that would have made that move for a second round pick. So, um, especially getting what well, they got a fourth in return as well. So, just not a fan. Um with, with that move, but um, we'll kind of keep it pushing here. Get the two big trades. Um, I take it back. The Roquan Smith is not my favorite trade of the time. The trade we get to in a second is my favorite one. I think I told you this. This is maybe the biggest brain move ever. But first, we'll get to this one. The Broncos traded Edge Bradley, Ch- Bradley Chubb in a 2025 fifth to the Miami Dolphins in exchange for a 2023 first, a 2024 fourth, and running back Chase Edmonds. Um, really like this move for Denver. I think they weren't going to pay Chubb. Hadn't lived up to the bill of a of a you know a, a fifth overall pick. They need the first rounders with with the Russ deal. Um, Miami has absolutely benefited from having Bradley Chubb. This is their push to make the playoffs and knock off the Bills in the division. Um, getting Chase Evans out of there just you know I mean they they had a carousel at running back and they didn't need him. Um, really good deal for both sides here. I think um, the Dolphins obviously get up a first is a lot of capital, but I think it's worth it for they're going to be picking. And I think Chubb's the guy that they could extend with the money that actually they already did. What am I saying? They gave him a massive contract. Didn't love the numbers, but, you know, I get it for them. They have a rookie quarterback. They have the money to spend. So I think it's a good move. Um, and then my favorite trade of the deadline. This came out of 
not as much as Jeff Saturday being hired as, as the interim head coach for the Colts, but almost as much out of left field as that was. Um, the Atlanta Falcons traded suspended wide receiver Calvin Ridley to the Jacksonville Jaguars in exchange for a 2023 conditional sixth, which can become a fifth if Ridley is reinstated by a certain date, along with a 2024 conditional fourth. If he hits a playtime milestone, it becomes a third. And if Jacksonville and Ridley agree to a long-term deal, it becomes a second. So number one, Jacksonville approached this perfectly. You weren't going to get a sixth and a fifth for Ridley. He's too talented, but he's also a total, he's a total liability. You have no idea when this guy's going to play again. You have no idea if he's going to come back and be the same player, especially at receiver. But they, they set themselves up. So this is a super low risk trade and a super high reward. And guess what? If they get the high reward, they got to give up a second. But there's totally, it's totally worth giving up a second for a guy that you signed to a long term deal, right? So I think this is great. I think they, the Falcons make a good move here. They get uh, an extra pick this year and then they get a second, probably going to be a second rounder in 2024, which they're, you know, they're rebuilding for a while they're going to be in the, in, in this probably till 2025 plus. So picking up the t- the second rounder in 2024 should be nice. Um, man, talk about the Jags. They don't have to go draft a receiver now. They have Calvin Ridley. They don't have to go pick a Jordan Addison or a JSN or a Quentin Johnston in the, in the top 10. Now they can pick whoever they want to pick. They can pick Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, they can go pick an offense tackle. They can do whatever they want now. Um, so really, really good move by the Jags. Um, so big brain. It's just it's so smart. Um, God, just, I, I I marvel at this. This is great. This is such a good move. I don't know why I know what else thought of this. Yeah, it does make sense. And it looks like, well, right now it's a fourth and a sixth headed back to Atlanta. It's going to be a second. It's, it looks like it's going to be a second and a fifth. You assume he's going to be reinstated when the season concludes. Yeah. And you assume the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to sign him to a deal. They obviously paid a ton for Christian Kirk. Didn't really make sense when it happens. Never has made sense. Still doesn't make sense. He's having, he's having a good year, though, in fairness. He's having a good year. Yeah, but 21 mil a year. No, he's not like, worth the money, but in a vacuum, he's had a good year. Right, yeah. And I think Ridley will help him play better as well. I don't know what Ridley will get paid with the Jags. Probably around 20. Um, that's a lot of money in one spot. but probably. Yeah. He gets signed up. I don't know where the Jags want to allocate their money, um, but nonetheless, the Falcons rebuilding, like you said. To round out the deadline, though, we have the Indianapolis Colts. They traded their running back, Naheem Hines, to the Buffalo Bills for Zach Moss, who's also a running back, and a 2023 conditional sixth. I don't know what the conditions are on that. I believe it's probably playtime or maybe a yardage stat. Nonetheless, Naheem Hines, a good pickup for the Bills. Uh, I believe an upgrade over Zach Moss and – I think, you know, he's paying dividends for the Bills. He had a couple nice plays, a couple nice catches in that game versus Minnesota, which was just the game of the year. We'll get to talk about that maybe in a second. But that pretty much wraps up the episode. Uh, no ice bath this week, as we had a lot of info to talk about. We're mainly, I mean, I guess you could say our ice bath was the whole LeBron Twitter thing, kind of a joint ice bath. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we had all the deadline stuff, the – NBA and NHL standings update, MLB awards and World Series recap, PGA uh, update, live update, and the MLS recap of the season. So going forward, uh, we're going to talk about pretty much all of it except the MLS. We're going to have, you know, next time we're going to have the NBA stats and NHL stats update along with MLB free agent signings and any other news, obviously. 
but yeah, I mean, to round it up, so I guess we can just talk about NFL as a whole since we haven't talked about it. I'll just say a couple things. I think the NFL is kind of taking me by surprise this year. Um, I think a lot of underperformance across the entire league at the quarterback position. I don't think the quarterback plays nearly as good as what people thought it would be this year, especially in the AFC. I mean, you can just throw out Russ for an easy example. And I mean, if the Broncos score at least 18 points in every single game this season, they'd only have like two losses or something, but their defense has played great. Even after trading Bradley Chubb, I think all the quarterbacks in the league just haven't really performed like every single quarterback you can think of regardless of the reason. It's just like, they aren't quite living up to how they'd be playing. Like, Tom lost four in a row for the first time in his career. Aaron Rodgers can't find consistency. You know, Lamar and Herbert kind of dealing with some injuries on the offense. You look at Joe Burrow I mean, too. You can right. throw Joe Burrow on that too. He's he looked bad the past couple of weeks. Right. Two has been the one guy maybe across the NFL that's played really well. Consistently, Kyler, I'll say consistently improved. Right. Yeah. Kyler hasn't played well. Uh, Stafford hasn't played well. I mean, he probably retiring after this year, Dude. which means McVay's probably gone. With that money, though, um, I don't know if I, he, he may just ride it out with that money. I mean, he might, but like, did you see all the stuff about his wife and like what they did? Yeah, I don't know. But, like, he's a field, he's an enigma. Yeah, Fields is coming on playing better as of late, but still not buying to him yet. Hertz is playing well, but he's got a lot of guys around him. Mm-hmm. I mean, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Put it this way. playing really well. Put Herbert, Lamar, and Burrow on that Eagles team. Dude, those three quarterbacks yeah. have dealt with the most injured offenses in football, more so Herbert and Lamar than Burrow just the whole season. Yeah. Put those two guys – those three guys – let's just take Burrow away because it's only been the last couple of weeks with Tramar out. But, like, you put Lamar and Herbert on that offense, Lamar fits in with the current build of wanting to run the RPO and, and the heavy read option. You put Justin Herbert on that offense too with a dude who can stretch to feel like A.J. Brown. Even with Lamar, you put a guy – you get the quick area, the short area quickness with him. I mean, yeah, it's just not fair. That, that's why I think the Jalen Hurts thing is getting way overplayed. He's a great quarterback. He's a good quarterback. He's developing. But like you said, I'm not bought in either. I'm, I've been a Jalen Hurts believer if he can lead a team to the playoffs and make a run, but he's never going to be the reason for it. I, I mean, we even talked – I was high on the Eagles in the offseason because I thought they had a loaded roster. I thought Jalen Hurts was a, an above-average quarterback. He's a top-15 guy who's more than capable of, of playing good football, not turning the ball over. I mean. Yeah, I think he and Fields more so Hurts just because he has better guys around him. Yeah. But I think they both have capability to be top-15. I think Hurts is in the top-15 right now. But at the same time, like, I think a few – you said kind of said it. I think a few different QBs – are eight and one or even nine and oh with that roster. I yeah. don't think Hertz has had to do a whole lot. I mean, before last week, he don't, he didn't have that. He only had like five touchdowns through his first eight games or something. Yeah. And, and it's a testament to the O-line and how much they've been able to run the ball similar to Lamar on a different scale. But I just think it's interesting to see how much hype the Eagles have gotten because obviously their division is looking good with the giants playing really well. Coach of the year, Brian Dable as of now. I mean, the Cowboys have played well, even Washington's 500. I think that division's looking really good, but they're playing each other, and you can't really buy into how good that division is until they play some 
AFC teams and stuff like that. And I just feel like they haven't played many games outside their division, let alone their conference. Uh, still, the division's looking pretty good. In terms of the AFC playoff picture, I mean, we saw the Bills lose to the Vikings in what was a crazy game on Sunday. Um, hey, LeBron, LeBron, LeBron knew it was coming, though. LeBron knew. Yeah, I mean, LeBron probably said, hey, the Vikings wear the same colors as the Lakers. The Vikings are going to win last second, and it's going to be because of Justin Jefferson on an insane catch. If y'all didn't see it already, um, you could probably access it pretty easily. Maybe the greatest catch I've ever seen. It's better than the Odell catch because it's it's one-handed. It's in that he rips it from the defender's hands, and it and it's to keep the game alive. It was fourth and eighteen. To keep right. It. If they don't if they don't get it, Buffalo wins. Yeah. And he was basically in quadruple coverage. Now there was only one guy where he was like the one guy was on him, like covering him tight, but the other guys were around him, obviously going to him because everyone knew the ball was going to him, but the catch he made ripped it from the guy, a pick. like got it to his leg and then brought it in was just insane. Uh, and over time he had a great catch down of the two. Yep. The game would have been put away in overtime. Obviously the refs missed a face mask. Uh, no, that was, that was a different game. Never mind. Um, the game should have been put away by the Vikings. I mean, they had first and goal at the three, first and goal at the two. And out of those two drives, they got a combined three points. Uh, you know, in regulation, they went for it, didn't get it. The Bills get the ball on the one-yard line because the Vikings didn't convert. They turned it over on downs. First snap, trying to get the ball out of the end zone. They QB sneak it with Josh Allen under center, and he fumbles the snap, and the Vikings recover it in the end zone and score a touchdown. They take a six-point lead or something. Or what was it? Three-point lead. Yeah with like 40 some seconds remaining yeah. bills got the ball with like 38 seconds and the bills get the ball go down the field with a couple just really soft coverage from the vikings um and, not a, one of, bad, and a bad call from the refs right they gave gave davis that catch on the sidelines yeah. which was not, not a catch everyone even everyone even said it wasn't a catch they didn't even review it, it even a contested thing yeah you can't challenge it from a coach um but they didn't even review it. I mean, that you had you have to review that. And but the Bills were getting like 20 yards of play, getting field goal range, hit the field goal to tie it, send it to overtime. Crazy overtime. Um, I believe the Vikings started with the ball. They got a couple first downs and it stalled. Then the Bills got the ball and threw a pick. Threw a pick, right? Down through and, a pick. It was not a good ball either. Yeah. It looked like they were going to win it. Uh, you know, Vikings got the ball – or Vikings got a field goal. Bills, all they had to do was get a touchdown to win it or get a field goal to extend it. And they threw a pick in the end zone to Pat Pete, his second pick of the day. So, pretty crazy game. Definitely happy the Vikings won. Uh, just even more upset that we couldn't beat the Bills after being up 17 in the third quarter. Um, really disappointing. But, nonetheless, Bills got an L. Yeah. Um be rooting for the Chargers this Sunday night. Should be exciting. We'll see who the Chargers get back. Um, it sounds like Mike and Keenan are going to – they've both practiced for the third day straight, um, and they're practicing under the media availability, which is good. Um, it sounds like they're going to play. I've, those are the, They have to get both of those guys back to win. Um, I, I mean, obviously, when Gerald Everett went out, um, Trey McKitty, the third-string tight end, drops a touchdown pass. Um, nobody can really separate other than – I mean, it really can't. Nobody can separate because they were gonna they were gonna put double coverage on Josh Palmer. Um, gonna be an easier game, I think, for the offensive line. Trey Pipkin should be back at right tackle. 
not going to be Foster Sorrell in his first NFL start going up against Nick Bosa. Um, tough assignment for him. He actually played very admirably. He had a great game um, considering what he was up against, but should be interesting Sunday night. Um, Mike and Keenan, like I said, Mike and Keenan should be back. Um, they might get Chris Rumpfack, like edge three. I don't really know what's going to happen with him. Um, and then I think they're getting Pipkins back as well. Yeah, it should be a good game. I know I'm excited for it. Um, the Ravens play the Panthers at noon in Baltimore on Sunday. I think it's the biggest line of the week. I think it's like 13 and a half right now. Um, I'll take, be- I'll take, I'll take Carolina plus 13 five though. Probably. Yeah. I, I, think- I hate double dude spreads in the NFL. I hate it. With Baker starting, is he starting? I think, yeah, bro. No, I don't sorry. know, but I think his experience versus the Ravens and playing yeah, them and how they play, I think it'll benefit the Panthers over you know PJ Walker starting. Could end up being a good game. I don't know. I mean, you can count on the Ravens having a double-digit second half lead. I mean, they have in every game, but yep. from there, I don't know. I mean, with the addition of Roquan, I think our defense should play pretty well. I'd be kind of disappointed if we gave up more than fourteen points. Yeah. I mean, looking forward to it. Um, should be a fun week at NFL. And, you know, as we get going with the podcast after finals, we will get going with the playoff update and kind of matchups if the season ended on whatever day uh, with the top seven seed in each conference. But, yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, we're going to be tweeting a little more often. I mean, as long as Twitter's alive, we'll be tweeting. So we'll see how that goes. But nonetheless, Instagram will be going. And we do have an Instagram cold seat podcast on twitter as well that is the username but yeah looking forward to get this back going uh kind of stay catch up episode here before finals and then we'll get back to it um over winter break and next semester so i think that's it do you have anything else no that's about it just gonna try and keep our heads above water here the next couple of weeks as we get into the get into finals and uh jump back on the pod once we're done yeah looking forward to it and thank you all for tuning in even though it took you know, six weeks off, uh, happy to get back to it. Yeah. And we will see y'all in a few weeks. See you guys soon.